Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 87, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. A proposed state law is calling for parent dress codes at public schools, and a change in Louisiana policy has cleared the way for all children to play sports. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we are recording our bright idea segment live at the Mississippi Educational Computing Association Conference. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how you doing? I'm great. Russ has the uh, evening off. You know, the weather has been pretty ridiculous around the country over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Poor we, Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And we even had a uh, snow day here in the south. And if you could see me right now, I'm doing snow and <laughs> air quotes. quotes. Air quotes. <laughs> um, because it, it snowed what? like a tra- It was what we would call a dusting in the world of meteorology. It was more like a little bit of snow on the grill. <laughs> and then it melted about an hour later. By the time I woke up, it was gone. Yeah. And, you know, school districts here, they, they like to make the decision the night before, I think, so everybody kind of knows right. what they're going to do. But where I grew up in Northern Virginia, like, they would just always kind of punt. They would always be like, all right, two-hour delay, and then we'll decide again, That's right. you know, at 7.30 in the morning to see mm-hmm. if the weathermen were right or not. Why do we not do that here? I don't know. We have done a delayed start before. Yeah. This time we should have done a delayed start yeah um it's frustrating because every state has their own policy as far as make up bad weather days some are built into their calendar so if you know that a child you know students have to be enrolled 142 days you have 144 that are on the calendar and then you just you're good you know you, you 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 did it or you didn't we have to make it up so that could come off of any of your scheduled holidays for the rest of the year right um gosh i remember one time when we had to go to school on Memorial Day at the end oh, of the wow. year. That's yeah. Rough. <laughs> no. yeah. Um, because you had to make it up. So um anyway, so yeah, it's I, I wish there was a way to like just say, you know, we're gonna build in these days and you don't have to make it up because people make plans. I mean, or, so you're saying there's a padding of two days and then beyond that, you know, you're you're chipping in the holidays. Right. And yeah. so just for my school district, we've already used two days. We've already, right. now we'll have to make up two days already. Yeah. So I feel like they should have padded two days because I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could go back 10 years and we've always used two days. Yeah. Because we have hurricane season that gets the us. The tornadoes will. The tornadoes get us. Yeah. And then every now and then we'll have a crazy freeze and a southern, st- you know, we, we don't know how to do, right. do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they do it up north, like in Minnesota, where, you know, it's negative 40. Like, the houses are just built differently. Yeah, like, and everything does shut down, obviously, when that... Plumbers and heating and air folks would make a fortune yeah. if we had that type of weather down here, because 
I mean, our furnaces are in, in the ceiling. So like in hot air rises, it's better to have them on the ground. If we don't have gas or like electric heat pumps, they wouldn't work. And pipes would just immediately freeze everywhere. Yeah. It's, it would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully um, everyone makes it up and uh, everything kind of gets worked out okay for, for your school district. Um, what's going on in the uh, teacher's lounge? Anything new? Oh my gosh. This may be my favorite teacher's lounge ever, ever. <laughs> That's... <laughs> okay. So... A representative, a state representative from Tennessee named Antonio Parkinson Mm -hmm. is the hero for all teachers and school personnel because he is pushing for a law that requires a parent dress code when you come to visit a public school in his state. Because parents... Because it's that bad, Nick. Because it's it's that bad. Are you serious? I'm like, for real. I mean, I have been known to like drop off my little girl at daycare. I'm not talking and, about your stupid, you know, like, PJ pants, your yeah, plaid yeah. PJ pants. No, well, I know, I've never done that. We wish. But, right. There's a lot of people that drop off in Carline and they're in, you know, yeah, sweatshirt. Yeah, slippers on yes, or something. sure. Yeah. No, but you wouldn't believe. Okay, so just this year, okay, just mm. this year, I saw a gentleman get out of his vehicle in a bathrobe not a big bathrobe, okay? But he was a large man. I'm, I'm, he got out of... And so I'm like, is that a robe? Weird. It would look like a Cousin Eddie kind of That's exactly what was no, I was thinking No, that's what you of. should be picturing, okay. but he was larger than Cousin Eddie. Wow. But he... And then he walked into the school, but as he got closer, I was like, I can't see his shirt. I don't see his shirt. Yeah. That's because there was no well, then, shirt. There was no shirt. shirt. It's a bathrobe. There was no shirt. And he had on... It was like sweatpants that he had cut off at the knee. Yeah. And I mean, just chest so he hair did, he everywhere. Did have he came in. On. He had on yeah. basically a pair of shorts, drawstring shorts, and a, a robe, but he did not have the robe tied. It was, oh, I mean, he looked like he, wow. a boxer. You know, it was an oh, open yeah. robe. He looked like a boxer <laughs> so, without the boxer body. That's right. Yeah. And then he came walking in and said, I need to speak to the administrator. And I was like, Oh, oh, okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So here yeah. I am trying to be super respectful, but like, right. how did you, you know, and he was, you know, he wanted a meeting, wasn't leaving until an administrator it spoke It must have been him. urgent. Was it like, no? Do you, do you remember the topic? Was it like, had, it, it had was, to be addressed right then? No. Yeah. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, you know, a mom come up to the school. Yeah. And she's dressed very, very inappropriately to where you can see undergarments underneath the skirt. It's like an episode of where it's like, my mom dresses worse than me. It's it's awful. And let me tell you another thing. And so let me just say, okay, so in Tennessee, State Representative Parkinson, he's saying he also wants a code of conduct and each school is allowed to say this is what is allowed or not. So it's not just dress code. That's his big, big thing. Mm -hmm. But it also is profanity, like parents, you know, using bad language. Especially at sporting events, I imagine. Right. And also, you know, it's not uncommon anymore for a parent to walk in to a school and sign in at the office and go visit and then start blasting out a teacher in front of the kids. Right. And so he's saying, no, I'm sorry, but no, this isn't allowed. And we're going to have a code of conduct. I've never like done that. Like, could I... Just walk into a school and say, I want to see my child right now, and well, they don't stop you? It used to be that way. It used to be I that you could go. School. You want to go like, eat lunch with them, I guess. Right. Yeah. It, so it used to be that you really could, you know, just be bopping. But probably in the last 10 years, yeah. no, you sign in at the office, you get a sticker. And even if you, you know, say, oh, I, you know, 
she forgot her lunch. They say, we'll take it to her. Like they don't. Yeah, but now incorrect. parents get very mad about that. They're like, no, I'll take my child's lunch I too. Mean, I want to see my grade, child. And they're it. like, well, she's in class right now. We don't want to interrupt the class. And yeah, so it's really parents disruptive. get very mad about that. Hmm. Um, but I taught at a school where parents could come in without signing in and walk up and down the hall, throw your door open. Private school. Huh? I mean, whoo. Yeah. It was it was really I mean, a great, great school, but that was something that was not the friend of the teachers at yeah, all. Yeah. Because they would even like talk about like they would come and find you at your lunch and want to talk about something. Like there's all these mini conferences constantly. Right. So um another thing is um playing of loud music in car line that's inappropriate music that's, that's cursing a that's a shame that that's a thing it is a thing and there's also uh in listed in this code of conduct which again he says each school within his state can decide what their code of conduct is and what mm. their dress code is for their parents but it also has to do with um like bumper stickers that say profanity which i've or, seen three what, what about the uh <laughs> the things that hang underneath the hitch oh, you know gosh. what i'm talking about i yeah. don't even want to describe it we'll just call it a, a, I don't <laughs> I know, don't know. a teardrop <laughs> we'll just call it a teardrop right. that hangs underneath the bumper or mud flaps with yeah. silhouettes on them yeah those are the worst and like, i get worst. it that maybe we're you know we're falling over into the snowflake era here where people are like oh my gosh get over it but i work car line morning and night yeah. and it is uncomfortable yeah. when you're loading a child into a vehicle and there's a huge vinyl sticker on the back of the truck that says, beep it. Yeah. And it yeah. Sh- has a drawing that goes along with it. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, these children are reading everything, you know, right. and they're like sounding it out, you know, yeah. and it's like that shouldn't be allowed on you know, well, in car line, if you, if you want to have that on your truck, great, but let your child ride the bus. I got to tell you. All right. So you first started talking about this and when, when I, when I worked news, this was a thing every January lawmakers, they, especially at the state level, go out and they create a bunch of laws and a lot of them are what I would call red meat. I would always tell our reporters this like, yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. But it's just like a red meat law that like gets their name in the media because it's so crazy it's it's, yeah. it's just like a salacious story well, and i kind of thought that's what we were gonna <laughs> yeah. do but i thought that's what we had here but hearing you as a teacher talk about like this is real like uh-huh. this is a real problem it's it not just like a lawmaker trying to be like we've got to stop this and yes. you know and this is a populist statement no like it, hearing you kind of changes my mind like maybe this is a legitimate law that needs to happen, yeah you know and it and it gets distracting like when the the children get closer to middle school and you have moms that are up there that are dressed like barely dressed like that is here we are having these dress codes for our students and our faculty and then someone walks in like that and they're here for a parent conference and it's like you know so basically he wants the school to have the power to say yeah, you're not. We're not going to be able to meet with you because you're you're not dressed in our conduct. Yeah, you know, and, like and that's going to be the hard part is enforcement. And, but I right. guess if you have school, student resource officers and stuff, you know, you, you mm-hmm. probably could enforce it. The you know? re- resource officer at my school has told 
uh, car to turn their music down before yeah. because it's like so like curse words and rapping and yeah. you know which is fine but you're going through Carline at 7:20 in the morning yeah what are you doing yeah I hear you <laughs> I, I guess I'm you. just not that cool <laughs> um now I was uh, reading over in the um, Heckinger report which I get a lot of stuff from have you ever heard of this there, it's a website it's um, h e c h i n g e report.org. No. They they do a great job um, just covering education in general. They they write unique perspectives on things. But anyhow, I stumbled across a, a, a new story on there um, that it says immigrant students once barred from sports can now play in Louisiana. And I didn't realize this was a thing, and you probably did, but um, you can – students who are immigrants and undocumented, it's by law like they're allowed to enroll in school. Like schools can't – deny them. It's by federal law. And then there was even, I think, a Supreme Court ruling specific to Tyler, Texas, um, that said, you know, you really can't do anything to keep them from coming to school. But Mm -hmm. because sports bodies are run by basically independent organizations, there's high school athletic associations, Mm -hmm. they can set their own rules. And those vary from state to state. And sometimes they require you to have insurance and you won't have insurance. So there's kind of like other little there's things that they to try to, yeah, to mm-hmm. keep them out. Well, apparently in Louisiana, coaches and teachers were really pushing to allow these students to play. And what they were required were social security numbers in Louisiana. And um, they have just stripped that rule. And no longer can they say that you have to provide a social security number to play sports. So that's now going to allow these kids to play in the athletics. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think it's great because I, my son plays soccer and he's always played rec league soccer with this specific child that's super talented and a huge part of their team, but that child's never been able to play school soccer with of, these boys. Because of the insurance situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so um, it was always an issue and, and now he is allowed finally, but uh, you know, my son's a senior now. So, you know, I think it, I think Sometimes when you're looking into the eyes of children, they're like, but why? Like, yeah. even my child, but I don't understand why he can't play. He plays yeah. with us all year. What? I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's at the school. Why can't he play for our school? Yeah. He can play for the community league, you know. So it's just sometimes I get it that there are things that they want to <laughs> control or yeah. whatever. But, you know, I'm a teacher. So when you're looking in the eyes of a child, some of that stuff you, it's hard to explain. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. cause you just like, again, you want the child to be able to eat. You want the child to be able to play. You want the, you know, there's, it's just like going through the lunch line and saying, you don't have any money. You can't eat. Nope. Yeah. No. And, <laughs> nope. And you're really kind of making the wheels turn in my head when it comes to these athletic associations. Cause I had heard another law that that was so not law, but rule by the athletic association in our state. And it seems so arbitrary. It basically was saying right. that if you have a, a, a club team that has, you know, 10 great players on it, only six, and I'm throwing these numbers out, but a limited number can actually play together on the high school. At the same time. At the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have four kids that might be talented enough to make the team, they won't be able to because they're capping it. And that's arbitrary. And what I mean by that is it's like we're, we're going to make a rule because we don't want to give somebody an advantage. Like I don't really get it. Like there's no need for a rule there. Right, and I don't, I don't know why they did that. It, and different states have it different ways and different numbers or whatever. But basically, they don't want, you know, for you to have a select team that's. 
I think feeding some, into a school. Right. I yeah. think some schools possibly have a select coach that's coaching their team. Right. And it's not really the school sport, but right. then they play some games for the school sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think they do that to have an event like to where some other kids have a chance to be on the team and it is, you know, more representative of the school yeah. as a whole. But it is tough because yeah you then you you have like in our area soccer maybe wasn't a big deal back when I was in school I played soccer and like nobody else did Mm -hmm. but now soccer has definitely come around you know so you have you've already met those numbers because of course the kids are playing rec ball Mm -hmm. you know community soccer in a select organization but then they're also playing for the school and then when they get to that high school level they have to stop um, they have to stop one or the other because otherwise it looks like they're being coached by a private organization that's running the soccer league for the school. And that's like illegal. I think I think it's a bigger deal in other places, um, possibly with like football and things like that. Like you would have people that are training these kids year round and doing all this stuff and it has to be mandated by the state. But again, why, where do they come up with these numbers and is this really fair? Right. And, yeah, it gets messy. You know, it does because then that means you're if you have an honest tryout and you had 10 kids that were on that select team that were the best at the tryouts, right. their scores were the best, but you're going to tell four of them to hang back because of and the, take the four other kids that never, for. right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's got to change. There's things that have yeah. got to change about that. There's a lot, too, with homeschool yeah, um, rights, with children that, that live in an area that are homeschooled but want to play for a private school or play for a public school. And there's lots of different states doing different things to say, yeah, they can play. If they live in that area, they have to be allowed to play. And then there's other ways that they're keeping them out. The um, Back to uh, immigrant students, the article that I was reading, it says Florida requires immigrant students to present official U.S. custom forms. Um, so that's still a, a major obstacle. Mm-hmm. And it says, and Mississippi only allows students who aren't U.S. citizens to play if they are official foreign exchange students. So I don't know if that's plays out that way or not, but that's according to the article. I, yes, that, yeah. I think that I've seen that happen. Yeah. So uh, I wonder if it just happened a long time ago, like if this all got set in motion when it comes to sports, that maybe somebody was worried that their child wasn't going to make the team because there's all these talented kids. And so they were trying to find a way. That's, a, that's not like, fair, though. I mean, I don't know. Oh, I know. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is like, I wonder if that's what made it start. Because yeah. otherwise, like, what does it matter? Yeah, no, I mean, I really do question a lot of these these governing bodies and, and who's on the board and who's making these rules and so forth. You know, again, yeah. we're all human and, and some of those rules are kind of arbitrary. So uh, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yes. Russ and I were able to catch up with two amazing educators over at the uh, Mississippi Educational Computing Association Conference, also known as MECA. And uh, we spoke with the assistant superintendent, Bradley Robertson, uh, and of uh, Oxford Public Schools, as well as Brian Buckhalter, who is the uh, math coach for Oxford Public Schools. And they had some great perspective on Generation Z and kind of educating with love. We are recording live at the Mississippi Educational Computing Association Conference, and I'm joined by the two keynote speakers for our Bright Idea segment. We have Oxford Public Schools Assistant Superintendent Bradley Robertson and Brian Buckhalter, better known as Buck, who is the district's math coach. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. 
Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it was a, a really inspirational speech. You guys had a ton of energy uh, there today. And before we really dive into the message that you spoke about here at Mecca, I want to talk to you about the both of you. Um, there's a reason you guys are speaking together, right? And, and that probably has something to do with your relationship, huh? But Absolutely. Yes. Tell me about that. Uh, oh, you really going to let me tell it? Yeah. Well, I'm the brains behind the operator. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Bradley and I, we go way back. Uh, I think our first interaction was uh, I was in the classroom as a sixth grade teacher, and he was actually my assistant principal. And it was the first time that I really had a principal that um, I could talk to about content issues that, you know, really went beyond some of the surface level feedback and whatnot, totally not dissing any of my former administrators, but to um, have his openness and his frankness and his, his honesty be wrapped up in compassion and just this real concern for the achievement of our students and the well-being of his staff instantly he was just like a magnet like everybody's just kind of drawn to him so um, I've just kind of been stuck by his side for a while we parted ways as he went to another school district for a few years but just recently he returned as our assistant superintendent so I'm really fortunate that we're back together and we get to work together again you know I would just like to say um, from my first experiences encountering Buck as a classroom teacher uh, as you heard from my keynote today about thinking differently Buck has thought differently for a long time as a classroom teacher. And that's what makes him a special educator. Uh, that and his message today about love. So um, Buck has been doing a phenomenal job in the classroom for a long time. Uh, I was blessed to have the opportunity to serve as his assistant principal because he taught me a lot about how to think differently as an administrator as well. Now, Buck, were you a new teacher? Is that Did I catch that right? Or how long had you been teaching before you guys met? Um, I think I was on maybe about my third or fourth year teaching. Um, I'd gotten my feet pretty wet, but <laughs> I still had so much to learn. Sure. And so just his honesty and his willingness to help me learn um, just meant the world to me. It sounds like you guys really hit it off. We did. <laughs> Obviously. No. We did. Brad, Bradley, you talked a lot about um, Generation Z today. Um, in your opinion, I think you know, any educator listening has their own opinion about Generation Z, but, but what are we dealing with with this generation? What, what are our challenges, I should say? Yeah, well, I think our challenges are, at the same time, are also our advantages. And I think we need to make sure that we outline those just as that. Um, our challenges is they're always plugged in. I mean, they're always plugged in. Uh, they can lose the human side of things uh, from time to time. But just as I said, that is also the reason that we can educate them, that we can prepare them for a global market instead of a local market. Um, because if we educate them the same the way that we, edu we were educated as students ourselves, they're not going to be um, able to go out into a global market and, and to be successful. With Generation Z, you know, you, you've, I think you've been assistant superintendent for about a year. This is years? my first year. First yes. year. So, so you now have the challenge and, and you have this vision of how do I change things, change the curriculum that's kind of set in stone, it probably feels like at least, to, to meet their needs. Where do you start? Yeah, great question. The first thing that we have to do is we have to transcend the way that we teach in the classroom. It's not about acquiring knowledge anymore. It's really not just about gaining knowledge of big ideas. We have to be able to implement a curriculum to where students can transfer the knowledge that we're giving them to new situations. That's the difference. Um, 
transferring knowledge, meaning that we designed this autonomous curriculum that when a student leaves our classroom, they can act independently and transfer the knowledge that we're giving them to new situations that may not have ever encountered before. And that's the challenge. Uh, and where we've started is we have, we've taken this idea in the Oxford School District of, of taking our Mississippi College and Career Readiness Standards and using those as a roadmap to teach these 21st century skills, these essential skills like critical thinking, like being a creative thinker, being ethical, being resilient. And we're using those core content areas as a roadmap to entrench those 21st century skills into our students. You know, I think that's some of the things that a lot of educators have struggled with over the past few years because it's a paradigm shift, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our a lot of our curriculum before was tied into uh, specific objectives and standards, and uh, I think making that transition, um, you know, into where students have to demonstrate synthesis and mastery is is a little bit of a challenge, right? I think a lot of folks struggle, and, and you have, you know, and we're expected to, yeah, this this curriculum change has occurred over time. But it really hasn't occurred over a very long time, right? And I think, you know, it's, I, I think it's difficult. What do you tell teachers out there, um, or, or, or how do you guys make that happen in your district? To, you know, I've always taught this way, and this is a complete, uh, complete total paradigm shift in a lot of cases. How do you guys get that across to those teachers? And maybe it's a question for both of you. How do you, how do you make that, you know, round that corner, I guess? Well, it really comes from the top. There has to be a vision set at the top, you know, from the superintendent and from the community to what we value. And that's what we've done within our community. We put a committee of of 45 members of our community together, including our faith leaders, including our uh, chamber of commerce, people from the workforce, students, teachers, uh, other community members. And basically, we said, what do you want a graduate from Oxford High School to look like? What characteristics do they need to have to be successful in our community, to make our community thrive? So this is not something that we just developed on a whim. This is from community input. We want them to know that we want to put graduates out in our community that can help our community be successful. Um, So them being involved in the development of what those skills look like played an integral role in them buying in. Now, as Buck spoke about earlier, there's always this sense of fear. Teachers are scared. They're scared their test scores may fall a little bit uh, because of this this paradigm shift in education. Mm -hmm. And we've been there. We've been blessed at Oxford School District to be at the top. Um, But it's we have to change for our students. And that's what's most important. The you talked about one of these things that I'm about to bring up, and that's strongholds. And mm-hmm. I think, Buck, you mentioned fear was one of those strongholds. And Bradley, you had a list of them. If you don't mind, share those with our listeners. Sure. We could be here all day talking about <laughs> yeah. strongholds in educational practices because we tend to, be, we tend to try to educate kids from the, the industrialized model that we experience as teachers um, or as students. The three that I mentioned today in particular was we have to get outside of, of the four walls of the classroom to educate our students. Technology allows us to do that. Um, isolation is the enemy of improvement. Isolation is the enemy of growth. We have to utilize technology to give our students um, learning experiences on a global market, not just confined to the, to the four walls of the classroom. And in the same note, the same thing for our educators. If our educators are only communicating with their PLC leaders, with teachers inside their classrooms, they're missing out on a world of knowledge of how to best uh, educate these G- Generation Z students. 
we need to be they need to be experiencing global conversations with teachers not just around their state and country but also completely around the world and then the third stronghold i mentioned was this idea that this one size fits all educational experience or this one size fits all curriculum we're so fortunate to have technology at our fingertips in our district and understanding that we can utilize that technology to personalize the learning experience for our kids, to making sure that we're meeting each individual need of our students and not just putting out this blanket curriculum that may not serve each and every child in the Oxford School District. How aggressive are you prepared to get with personalized learning? I mean, I'm sure you've seen the samples in smaller districts where they're putting a computer in every child's hand and saying, go in that corner and complete X, Y, and Z. Are you ready for that? To be quite honest with you, um, I'm ready for that because you may have taken the message away from my keynote. I'm not afraid to change, uh, and I'm not afraid to change at the drop of a hat, to be honest with you, and that sometimes that's a fault uh, of mine as an educator. Um, but I will say, I don't even like the idea of grouping kids by their grade level or age. If your daughter or son, for instance, were able to master Algebra one as an eighth grader at the end of the first nine weeks, why should we make that child stay in Algebra one for three more nine weeks? Let's let that child move on to geometry. When the child has mastered geometry, let's let the child move on to the next math course. That is a true personalized learning experience that could meet the needs for all kids. Now, you guys are a little uh, unique. Well, I guess there are other school districts that are similar to yours, but you guys actually have a university Mm -hmm. that has a school of education right there in your own backyard. You know, one of the complaints that I've heard from a lot of administrators over the year, and I'm not setting you up for a difficult question, I promise, is, you know, uh, if you ask a lot of first-year teachers, am I prepared, you know, if you Mm -hmm. survey them, and ask them, am I prepared to teach my first year? Mm-hmm. Most of the time you get a laugh, the second time you get tears, you know, it's just a variety, right? A lot of folks just don't feel prepared, and there are a lot of teachers getting a lot of head nods in here. How do you guys work with your local university to not only, you know, you guys have this kind of community feedback saying this is the kind of people that we want, but how do you guys work back into the into the university system and say these are the kind of teachers we need in order to make that happen? That is a great question too, Russ. Um, we're fortunate. I have a personal relationship with the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Mississippi, uh, Dr. David Rock. Um, And I also serve on the Student Teacher Advisory Panel for the University of Mississippi. They have school district employees that serve on their committees to say, how do we need to change our teacher education program to make sure that our students, their students that are leaving the university are able to meet the needs of our kids in the classroom. I'll give you a great example of a project that we're doing right now. Student absenteeism or chronic absenteeism is a problem for every school district that's represented in this room today. And if you look, uh, chronic absenteeism is a, a, there's a strong correlation in student success and their attendance at school. One of the things the university is pairing uh, with us to implement this semester is our student teachers will be calling every child during the school day or at the end of the school day that missed in their particular class. And we have written a script uh, for them to follow. And basically that script is saying, hey, your kid is valuable to us. We're so sorry that little Johnny is sick. This is what we're doing in class today. What else can we do to help? We will send you the work tonight. It's just about that personal connection. And how does that help student teachers? How many times is the first time a student or a new teacher has ever talked to a parent is the first time at open house in year number one? So they're getting the experience of having conversations with parents during their student teaching experience. We're getting the benefit of making sure that our students and parents have personal contact um, 
when they're when they're absent. So it's it's a win win for us. And you guys are going to close the loop, I assume, by measuring that measuring outcomes. Absolutely, we are measuring the outcomes. Uh, school status is actually helping us. Uh, man, that was a that was a terrible pride. I was just dragging it out of you. <laughs> yeah, school status is actually helping us. Uh, they are creating logins for our student teachers, uh, and what they're going to do is all of those conversations will be recorded um, through channel in school status. And again, I'm glad you said that, Russ, because that's important for our student teachers as well. Having the opportunity to go back and listen to a conversation that you had with a parent. Uh, it's, a, it's a time of reflection uh, to make sure that they may want to handle that situation a little differently next time. That's incredible. I, I had heard about this, and I definitely want to loop back around in a future episode and hear how that's working out because that is innovative. You know, I mean, you were, you were putting these, these conversations between teacher and parent a, a way to go with well, that. Well, I think most districts, I think pretty much the status quo, right, it's different, right? And I think that we have to try things that are new and different in education because I think most people are kind of, everyone who has a child has gotten that, text message or call that says your child is absent and it's really just informative and honestly by week two or three mostly ignored like if you look at the answer rates of those calls it's not like that's not parent engagement to me right that's not going to move the needle it's it's an important it's important information to get out but it's really not going to change what's going on with the student i'm really interested to see uh, how this works out for you guys i'm excited uh buck you you talked about fear being a stronghold and and in your keynote you said to to fight that you believe in love. Tell the story of Moses. I know everyone in the room has heard this, but our listeners haven't. It's a great story. No, I I absolutely love it. You know, it's all about being unafraid to do what maybe hasn't been done before, but you know it needs to be done. So this was my very first year of teaching. And um, just as you were talking about all the things you don't know, uh, your first year we learned so much on the go. Well, mine was, you know, how to um, relate to a student and build a relationship from a totally different culture um, from my own. So Moses was one of my students and uh, his family had just moved to Oxford from Mexico. And so, you know, he spoke uh, very little English and I speak no Spanish at all. (laughs) Um, And so our initial interactions were very interesting to figure out how do we communicate um, without the spoken language? so to say. And uh, eventually, you know, we kind of built our language around love. So our interactions looked like a lot of um, manipulative work. We were drawing a lot of pictures to try to get him to really learn the skills that I was teaching. Um, But in essence, I think that I was teaching him more beyond the content and just wasn't realizing it, that I was tapping into some of those transdisciplinary skills uh, before we probably even put right. a name yeah. on it. Yeah. So we made it through the year. I mean, we kind of coasted through the year in terms of learning content. You know, I let him slide on some stuff, some things. You know, I really wanted to make sure um, he understood as, as much as possible. So where he lacked in his academic abilities, uh, he was very artistic. I mean, he would try the most beautiful pictures, and he'd always bring them back to class. And, you know, I'd always say, oh, Moses, it's so great. And other kids would love it. And one piece in particular, this elephant mask he had made, it just, it was the most amazing thing I'd seen. It was so creative. Um, it was actually made out of like a gallon milk jug, a paper <laughs> towel rolling, like some cardboard. But he had taped it together, glued it together, and I mean, painted it these very vibrant colors. And so uh, I asked him, you know, what are you going to do with it? And he was like, oh, nothing. It was, it was nothing to him. He was like, oh, you know, I made it. And so uh, I begged him quite a bit for it and uh, maybe 
you know, probably crossed the line into a little threat. Well, hey, you better give it to me <laughs> with a smile. Right. And uh, anyway, eventually he did give me the elephant. And so years had passed. And one day I was sitting in my home office where I have the elephant actually uh, mounted on the wall now. And I was wondering, where is Moses today? Like, I literally had not seen it, Moses. How much time had passed? At least a good, at least six years. Okay. Because by this time, he was a grown man. Gotcha. And I had him in sixth grade. And um, I hadn't seen him since the day he walked out of my classroom. But just his character, his charisma, uh, his outlook, everything. was He was always so vibrant and upbeat that, again, he's just the kind of person you want to be around. So I found him on Facebook. I left him a message telling him that I still had the elephant. Thank you for giving it to him, to me. And uh, I just wanted to compliment him on what an awesome kid he was and now what an awesome adult he is. And um, I really wasn't expecting him to say much back, if anything. But when he did, he replied saying, thank you so much for, you know, making math likable and school tolerable and goals achievable. Hmm. And when I think back to, you know, my time with Moses, those weren't my intentions at all. But because I feel like I was operating out of a place of love, that's what those were the affordances that he got from the situation. And so, um, man, I tell you, I, I've never told the story of Moses and not broken down and cried. Well, I mean, what that thank you mean to you? As teachers, we, we just don't know sometimes what happens to our students once they leave our classrooms. You right. know, we have the best intentions. And like I said in our keynote, uh, we work with farmer's faith. You know, we're planting seeds on good ground in hopes that uh, a fruitful return will emerge at some point. So to hear from him, that he was appreciative of the moments when I didn't even think I was doing a good job. But to know what that meant to him uh, as not only a student, but now as an adult. I tell you, the part of his message that really got me was goals achievable. Hmm. That's deep. Why is that? Because we all have something that we're trying to achieve. And um, it's hard sometimes to keep yourself motivated to reach your goals. But to know that there's somebody who believes in you directly or indirectly, somebody who says, yeah, you know, you can do that. Um, I, uh, I understand what that support feels like. So to know that I was a part of Moses' support means the world to me. It's a beautiful story. Thank um, you. If, if somebody wants to keep up with you guys on social media, do you guys have like handles on Twitter? Or are you on Instagram? What, where do you like Absolutely. to? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <Lutely. laughs> oh, you I can... didn't prep you for that question. No, 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 no. Yeah. Let's... Um, I'm just at the beginning of kind of doing my own thing. So my social media is pretty fresh and pretty new. But I am buck wild about math on anything. Instagram, Twitter, Gmail. You want to send an email. Uh, buck wild about math. That's me. I look forward to um, developing a website and a blog this summer. Bradley, what about you? And I am B Robertson 10 on Twitter. Uh, and Bradley Robertson 100 on Facebook as well. So we'd love to hear from each and everybody. So you went from 10 to 100. I did. <laughs> I saw, I saw you had to double check. No, well, yeah. Actually, yeah, actually, 10 was my baseball number in high school, but 10 was taken on Facebook, so I had to go to 100. You do what you got to do. That's right. Well, are you guys ready for the pop quiz? Absolutely. Did you tell Bradley there was a pop quiz? I did. Okay, all right. I didn't know if he knew if we were catching him, catching him off guard there. All right, first question. And what I'm going to do, I don't know, you can decide who answers first in, in each one, but y'all are both going to answer the same question. So if students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Homemade. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to ask why. Because if you can't balance a checkbook and you can't learn how to cook, you can't eat literally and figuratively. All right. Bradley? 
It's always difficult. I should have answered yeah, first. Exactly. <laughs> you really, he, he's an yeah. upstager, I think. Yeah, I think you should no really. Doubt. I'm going first from the rest of the questions. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Uh, no, um, I would probably say mathematics for two reasons. One, I'm a math teacher by trade, and mathematics is a universal language. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? 21st century skills. There you go. Uh, from my presentation a few minutes ago, we have to do a better job of, of preparing our students for jobs that hadn't even been created. I would say, like, just that go for it and it's confidence. Be yourself, be you. Don't hurt anybody else. What does every child deserve? An opportunity. And I think with where we are in education today, we deprive some students of the opportunity they deserve. I'd say a listening ear. Uh, sometimes kids just want to be heard, and we always think we know what's best for them, but it's probably best to ask the consumer. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Reaching Generation Z and eliminating the strongholds that the ways that we were taught in the classroom in order to reach this new generation of students. Maybe like uh, time. Uh, you know, it's so much that as educators we want to do in our classrooms, and we're just so limited for time sometimes. So probably time. That's actually a really common answer. A lot of people, Is it? yeah, everyone's like time, time. I mean, we hear it all the time. What's the best gift to give an educator? A substitute? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think talk about know your audience. <laughs> probably anything that honestly nurtures the non-teacher in them. Like we're people too. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like uh, so things that just allow them to relax and to escape sometimes from their day to day. I would probably say a story of Moses. Right. Simply because we often do not know the outcome of the educational experiences of our kids. Yet if we did, we would all wake up the next morning ready to go to work again. Well, let me ask you, which teacher changed your life? Actually, it's my first grade teacher. My first grade teacher, Miss White. I hated school. Like, I would literally act like I was going to get on the bus, and then I would start running laps around my house with my mother chasing me <laughs> to try to get me on the school bus. Um, and that happened probably through midway through my, my first grade year. Uh, and Miss White made a difference. And you know the difference she made is because I knew that she loved me. Did you ever have an opportunity to tell her? Or do you still have an opportunity to tell her? Miss White and I are Facebook friends. We talk <laughs> constantly. Uh, everything, like I, I truly expect to get something from her today telling me just how proud of, she, of, of, of me that she is because of the keynote today. Because she always keeps up with her kids. And, and she lets me know that's, that's incredibly important to me. Buck, what about you? Uh, Miss Barbara Veveries. She was my third and fourth grade ELA teacher. Uh, she was the first teacher or first person to ever say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. So I understood <laughs> at that point, like, wait a minute, this is kind of a privilege, like to be, you know, in a setting where I can learn and somewhere that's really going to develop me as a person. So I better take this seriously. Last question, pen or pencil? Uh, for me, that would be pencil, uh, just simply because I'm prone to make mistakes and I need second chances. A uh, fat mechanical lead pencil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Bradley Robertson and Brian Buckhalter, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with us. And I'm serious. I definitely want to catch back up again and talk about this communication you guys are doing with the university and parents and teachers. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. 
Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismisspodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in classdismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.